beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on hands, laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Parenting is tough. And most of the time, you'd probably rather not talk about it. But we want you to know something. It's okay. We can talk. On the day your child was born, if you searched frantically around the hospital for any type of brochure that talked about how to raise your child, we can talk. Right? Babies should come with an owner's manual. Right. There's the whole what to expect when you're expecting. How about what to expect when you bring the child home because you are so scared you're going to mess it all up and this is your bundle of joy and you just want to do everything right type book book. They'd have to shorten the title. True. But speaking of bringing your kids home from the hospital, if on that day you wished you were in an armored tank rather than your Ford Fiesta, we can talk. If you ever looked at your child and asked this question, do I look stupid to you? We can talk. And if your child has ever innocently looked back at you and said, yes, you do, we can talk. I said that to my mom once. You called your mom stupid? Once. Oh, how about this? If you've ever hummed the theme song, The Door of the Explorer, while at work, we can talk. It's just so catchy. I know, right? Oh, if you've ever said these words, don't make me turn this car around. We can talk. And if you've ever had to turn the car around because you've left your children at home, we can talk. You forgot your children? I'm not proud of it. Dads, if you've ever fallen asleep while playing Barbies, dress up, or at a tea party, we can talk. If you start to see your mommy and daddy time has become less and less, we can talk. Yeah, and if that's not the case, Please tell me your secret. If you've ever almost driven off the road because you're swatting at the back seat, we can talk. 
And if you've ever actually driven off the road while you're swatting at the back seat, we can talk. You've driven off the road? <sighs> that was hard one to explain to my insurance agent and my wife. If you've ever promised your kids the moon and you just couldn't deliver, we can talk. If you feel like it's too late and you've already blown it, we can talk. If you didn't have a great example of parenting from your own parents and you're struggling to change your family tree, we can talk. If you desperately want to teach your children the Word of God, but you're afraid they're going to ask you why you're not living it, we, we can, can talk. talk. And last but not least, if the word down has become an abnormally large part of your daily vocabulary, sit down, quiet down, calm down, just, just, just dial it down, get, get, get down. We can talk. Because the truth is, parenting is tough and we need all the help we can get. As parents, it's our job to build a foundation for our children and we need all the wisdom that's out there. So sit back and relax, know that you are in good company as we see how God wants us to raise our children in the direction they need to go. All right, so we're going to be talking today about relationship status, and today I'm going to be talking about kids. If you were here last week, you know that I actually promised you that I'd be talking about conflict this week. Sorry, I pulled a little bait and switch on you, and here's the deal. This is the week that we have our teenagers in the back, and so our kids and our teens have been dismissed, and mainly I'm talking to parents. I know maybe not totally and exclusively, but a lot of you are parents or grandparents, and uh, if not, you may have other situations that these things are going to apply to, because I want to just be very clear, some of the things that I'm going to be sharing today have to do with communication with your kids and establishing bridges and connection with them, but if you are a person who doesn't necessarily have kids, it can help to prepare you so you understand. But all of these principles are things that you can use in your relationship with your spouse, with your parents. And by the way, I mean, I think if you haven't got there, maybe you might get there in the next few years where kind of the shoe is on the other foot where, you know, you used to be the, the child and now you're the parent of your parents? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? I mean, you know, where your parents kind of are starting to act more and more childish and you have to talk about taking the keys away and all of these terrible things, you know? And so there's lots of things that will apply in this particular message as we talk. But if you are uh, kind of listening, you'll hear some of those things. So I wanted to mention it right off the very top. And today we're talking where we've been. Let's real quickly talk about where we've been. You know that we're talking about relationship status, and uh, the very first week we talked about the hope chest, and we talked about how you and I, we come into a relationship with all these hopes that you will fulfill this, and you will fulfill that, and you will be these things for me, and that you will make up for my deficits, and you will help me to become this, and help me to experience this, and I put all of my hopes upon you. And so as we go uh, backwards, we see last week we talked a little bit about communication, and I think I talked about the the five levels of communication, how cliche, reporting facts, ideas, judgments, and then we go up to my feelings and then even empathy and real connection, how these things kind of come in levels. And if you're not very careful, some of the things that you can do with the people that you're supposed to be closer to than anybody else is just to be on level one and level two where you're talking in cliches and reporting facts and nothing else. And if that's the case, 
you're probably not going to go very deep and probably not going to have a good relationship. And by the way, let me just stop here and tell you that this applies for your kids as well. Now, I know that you probably are not going to have these deep conversations with your three-year-old, all right? If you got a three-year-old, that's fine. This might not yet apply to you. It's coming probably earlier than you think. But I will tell you that if you have a teenager, if you have a teen, um, or a, probably a, a what could be considered a tween, some of these um, things that you're talking about here are things that you've got to pay attention to. Because if the only thing that you do with them is talk about facts, or you are the only one who ever shares ideas and judgments... It is a one-way street, and you don't realize it, but there's a wedge that's being put in between you. Now, I, I, don't, I don't say these things all the time just because uh, I want to say them all the time. It's not this thing that I just kind of fall back on. I know that some of you don't know my story, don't know my situation, but my wife and I actually have three daughters, and uh, the youngest one is just a handful of days away from age 19. Uh, the middle one is the age, a few minutes or a few days away, excuse me, from the age of 23. And my oldest is 24. All three of them are gone and out of the house. Uh, and so we have a little bit of a different kind of situation. I'm not raising my kids the way that I was, say, 10 years ago. But I will say that I'm a little bit on this side, and as I'm on this side, I don't want to seem or appear like I've got it all figured out, this is perfect, and I did this perfect. It's not that at all. It's just that I've been able to kind of stay in with my kids closely enough that now at this point, we're starting to look back, and they're starting to tell me what we did right and what we probably could have improved on, okay? And so I can share that with you now. For years, it was, hey, I'm right there with you. Or even, hey, I haven't yet got to this place. And, and if I'm talking to grandparents who want to be an influence in their grandkids' lives, I know that I might be talking to you and I don't have that same knowledge. But I will tell you that these things that we're talking about today, uh, I'm on a little bit of a different season than I was, say, five, ten years ago. And so some of the things that I'll share with you, I will share with you from my daughters giving it back to us about what did and did not work. Now, one of the things that I used to tell you, and uh, I had three teenage daughters all at one time, and so this was a little bit of a challenge, but I really do genuinely believe this statement from a book called Crucial Conversations. I shared a lot about this last week from this particular book, and I'm going to share a lot from this book this week as well, but let's check out this quote. It says, the problem is not the content of your message, it's the condition of your conversation. And here's what I'm talking about. Here's what I mean. In this situation, I really believe no matter who you're talking to, you can say almost anything if the connection is deep enough. If, your belief, if their belief in you is strong enough that you are safe, that you are out for their good, that you are trying to be helpful to them, I believe that the promise, or the, pardon me, the problem is never the content of your message. Because truth be told, you and I both know that some of the people that have wounded us the most or hurt us the most deeply with their words are people that we know and that are very, very close to us. The problem is not the content of the message, it's the condition of the conversation, meaning, are you safe? 
Can I trust you? Can I trust you enough to say something that might hurt me, but do something that is good in my life? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So we got to be very careful that we don't close ourselves off to having crucial conversations. And if you need to tell your children something, if you need to say something to your grandkids, if you need to say something to the people that work for you at work, and you know it's going to be a critical or crucial conversation, just know that you've got to make sure that the setting is right in order for you not to lose them in the long run. So let's go to this next slide, and very quickly, I'm going to tell you, here are the signs that you might be losing some people that are close to you, and you're just losing them a little bit. In other words, you pay close attention if someone goes to silence, if someone goes to violence, if there is distance, or they fall back into cliches. Let me explain each one of these. Understand what I mean by silence? Like, you know, you're trying to talk to somebody and they're like, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. You know, nothing else. You know, they're giving you nothing more than that. That is a problem. If you can't get them to talk to you, that is a problem, especially if they're an adult. That's a serious issue. Or you go here and you say, hey, I've got a little bit of a thing that I need to talk with you about. Oh, great. This is awesome because we love it when you talk to me because I already know how this ends. You're the one who's going to say everything and I've got to listen and I've got to change and you won't change the thing. And I mean, it's just like this huge blow up and you're like, I was going to ask if you could take out the trash, you know, and it's like this huge blow up. This is violence to, you know, uh, respond in this way. You guys understand? The third here is distance, and I literally think that we can sometimes see that somebody creates physical distance, that when we get close to them, they get up and leave the room, or you reach out to touch them, and they kind of, like, don't want to touch, don't want you to put your hands on me in any way, because I just want distance from you, I don't trust you. And then fourthly is, you know, when you only hear cliches from them, you know, when you say, hey, listen, um, that report, I know that it's due. Um, is there everything okay? Can I help you in any way? Right on it. You're like, well, obviously you're not right on it because you're working on something else. That's email pulled up and that's Angry Birds in the background. Like, you're definitely not right on it. And they're like, no, no, I'm right on it. Get it to you, fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And, you know, this nothing but cliches. And if you're doing that with your kids and you say, hey, how was school? Fine. Uh, is everything good? Fine. Do you like this food? It's fine. You know, you get nothing but fine, fine, and you get 32 fines and nothing else. And I'm not talking about the fines that you pay. I'm talking about 32 fines from your kid. They've knocked back into cliches, and they're keeping you on level number one when it comes to your communication. So here's the thing. I think that this is something that is a skill that you can get beyond but you have to take control of the conversation and say, listen, I think maybe there's some distance here. And let's go to this next slide. And this is one of the tools they say, well, this is the definition of what a critical conversation is. Stakes are high, opinions vary, and emotions are running strong. We talked about this last week. Maybe your legs start getting heavy. You get a pit in the bottom of your stomach. You know, hair stand up on the back of your head. When that stuff happens, or if you hear distance, violence, silence, cliches, you realize that something is wrong and that you're at an impasse. You need to be reaching out. Let's go to this next slide. Here's what they say. And they say that you can use your don't statements. Can everybody say don't real quick? One, two, three. Don't. The don't statements are just like this. Hey, listen, 
I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm trying to do here, right? I don't ever want you to think that I think you're a problem employee. Hey, listen, I don't want you to think that I don't love you. Just because we have to have a difficult conversation, don't get it twisted. You are the best thing that's ever happened to me as a spouse, you know, or whatever. So don't forget that or don't misunderstand what I'm saying. And and I used to have this situation where my girls were good kids. My girls were good kids, but that doesn't mean that they're perfect kids. You guys understand what I'm saying? It means that maybe they, you know, need to hear from me, hey, hey, hey. I'm not a person who looks at you and says, you're a horrible child, but you can't act like that. Don't get confused that I think you're a problem child, but you can't act like that towards your mom, or you can't act like that towards me, or you can't just blow that thing off because it's way too important. So you start using your don'ts to clarify where you stand in these conversations. Let's go to this next slide. And I just want to make sure that you and I are looking at God's word, the eternal truth that goes right along and hand in hand with these crucial conversations. Paul took a very intentional role in developing Timothy, who was a young pastor with a different personality and a different background than his own. He was half Greek and half Jewish. Paul was all Jewish. But the problem back in those days is that the Jews were very, very racially motivated. And so him taking this interest in this young man was not what most people would have done. He was intentional and he developed. And so those two words are intentional, that means you pay attention to it, and you go out of your way to make sure that it's happening. And then the second one there is developing. And that just tells you that if something is not happening immediately, that's normal. Most character development takes place over a long period of time. Most deep relationships happen and develop over time. And if you want them to be instantaneous, you will be disappointed. But begin to be intentional and make the changes and see them going in the right direction. Let's talk about what happened here with uh, Timothy and Paul. Let's talk about this. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5-7, through 7, that's the passage that Eric just read a minute ago. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Do you hear what's going on? Timothy is a third generation believer, third generation God follower. You need to be intentional about developing the spiritual life of your kids and your grandkids. Even if your kids are not interested in doing that for your grandkids, get involved and be intentional. These are things that we see here, and Paul made sure that these things were being developed. And then he goes on and he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now listen to me very closely. Listen to me very closely. There are some things that your kids don't see in themselves yet. There are things that they don't see about themselves yet that you can call out of them. But it is your responsibility. When you see that your kid is a leader, you tell them and you say, I see that you're a leader. When you are a person who's dealing with them and you talk to them and you see that they have a gift in certain areas, 
tell them, call them out on that and say, hey, this is good. Did you see what you did? Did you see that people were responding when you led? That's awesome. Hey, you know what I saw in you? I saw that even if everybody was going the wrong way, you planted your feet and you weren't going the wrong direction. I'm proud of you for that. You're a person who's strong enough to be the only one standing for what is good and what is right. You call it out in them. And I see this here in Paul. He sees in Timothy and he says, listen, I see something. I want you to do all that you can to make sure that the gift of God is getting stirred up. And I even laid my hands on you and prayed for you that you would not forget how important the gift of God is in your life. I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see more of it. And for you and for me, don't ever forget that a big part of our, our, our uh, job description is, is to be people that give our kid roots and wings, like roots to be strong, but wings to fly and reach the potential that God's given them. Let's check out this other passage of scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this kind of refers a little bit to the fact that Timothy was a different kind of temperament. And if you haven't clued in, and if you haven't figured it out, you can parent your kid one way, and then the next kid that you have, or a grandkid that you have, you got to parent them in a totally different way, because what worked with the one doesn't work with the other. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, man, you know that, right? One of them, you're like, don't you do that. They'll be like, please don't beat me. This is terrible. I'm a horrible child. Then the other one, you could like literally like just grab them and shake them, and they're like, huh? I mean, are you talking to me? It's like absolute opposites. Well, this is what was going on in Timothy's life. He was a, a young man who had to be warned not to be timid. He had to be warned not to be timid. I promise you, Paul was never accused of being timid. He was an in-your-face type A personality. Timothy was not that guy. He was quiet. He was reserved. He was pastoral. He was a guy who loved other people very much, but he was not out front but he was behind the scenes and doing great things for God. But here is what was also interesting. Paul was an old man and Timothy was a young man, but he was intentional about developing these things. And he said to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Just be the man that everybody can follow and be closer to God. And then he says, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Two different important people in Timothy's life laid their hands. There were a lot of people that saw the gift that God had given to Timothy, and they wanted to see it stirred up. So let's keep moving here and make sure that we get all of this understood. The Gottman Institute that I shared with you guys last week I shared with you about the Gottman Institute and how incredibly accurate they were. They could tell the difference between a couple that would make it versus not, and they could predict that with 93% accuracy, which is an incredible figure if you really think about it. But here is what the Gottman Institute says. Let's go to this next slide. It talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I shared it with you last week. I'm sharing it with you again. If you see that these things are constant in your relationship with your kids or your grandkids or your subordinates at work or your spouse, if you're constantly criticizing, if you're constantly dealing with them and they're defensive, if you constantly feel contempt from them to you, or if you deal with somebody and try to talk through an important thing and they do nothing but just sit there and go, I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to sit here like I'm totally a thousand miles away. They get that thousand yards 
yard stare. They're not going to even let you see any level of emotion. I mean, this is what it is talking about when you deal with stonewalling, contempt, defensiveness, criticism. There's so much going on. Very quickly, here's how you can overcome these things that are present in a lot of relationships. The criticism you use a gentle startup. If you, yeah, it, you use a gentle startup. You, you don't come in guns blazing. You know what? We got to talk and I'm about to hit you square between the eyes. No, you don't do that. You come in gently and you instead try to be nice and kind at the very beginning, especially. And then dealing with defensiveness. If you have responsibility in the problem at all, even if your responsibility is 20% and they have 80%, you had better take your 20% and hold it and own it and if you do, then they will listen. But if you do not, then they will not listen because they will keep telling themselves, well, you've got a part in this too. I'm not the only one who's got an issue here. I'm not the only one who's got a problem. And so if you don't take responsibility, then they won't either. Contempt, you, you can describe the feelings that you have and say, hey, listen, I want to tell you something. I don't want you to miss this. And that's back to those don't statements. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to misunderstand how I feel. This is how I feel about you. And you keep from going down that road and letting them think, hey, they hate me. The reason that they're talking about this with me is because they hate me. No, no, no. And then let's talk about stonewalling. If you are a person who does this stonewalling, and I'll just be very honest with you, most of us as men do this stonewalling thing. And here's why. Because we don't want to say certain things that we feel like are right on the back of our tongue that are about to jump out and say the wrong things and put distance. And so we just, you know what, I got to go somewhere else because I'm about to say something I can't take back and I want to make sure I don't do that. You have to say, you know what, whatever they're saying about me doesn't change the truth about me. I can listen and hear the lesson, but not you know, give in to the idea that this is all about, you know, winning and that kind of thing. So you self-talk your way through it to talk yourself down. It's important. Very quickly, there are four possible outcomes when you're dealing with a situation, especially with your kids. Let's talk about that with your kids. Here's the four possible outcomes that you can communicate for. A lose-lose result. That's where you're mad, I'm mad, I don't like you, you don't like me at the end of this conversation, this is just the way we feel, and nobody wins. But here's where we usually go wrong. We can also do a win-lose result. I'm the parent, you're going to listen, you don't need to say a word, all you need to do is say yes sir when the end of it is done, right? And so you win and they lose. How many of you know that eventually winning all the time pushes the other person away, right? If you're always on the losing end, guess where you don't want to be? In the presence of that person. Listen to me, parents. If you constantly have to win, if you constantly make things bigger than they have to be, if you never connect with your kid in a different way than win-lose, then you will win until you've lost everything. If you guys are with me, say amen. Y'all hear me? Okay, so you can also be number three, where you lose and they win. And it's not all wrong for them to win occasionally as kids, because sometimes kids are incredibly insightful, way too insightful. Can I get an amen, right? Like they know too much about me. They figured me out and they shouldn't have. They're only six years old and it bothers me. Can I get an amen, right? Okay, so here's what we find. If, they, if you lose and they win, that's fine. 
but don't abdicate being the parent. You are the adult. Act like it. When you are the person who gives in and says, you know what, I lost my temper. Well, you know what, that's what kids do. Kids lose their temper. Adults keep calm and see it through to the end. And here's the thing. There is almost always, almost always a win-win possibility. And if you're not shooting for that, then you are pushing people away in your life that you don't have to. If you do a win-win, then they will want to be near you and with you. And let me just say this very quickly. If you don't be careful, it's just a downward spiral. And I'm telling you that this happens a lot. And part of the reason that we struggle to connect with teenagers as they get a little older, that downward spiral has been going for years. This idea that, you know what? When you were a kid, I told you what to do. And now when you're a teenager, I still just tell you what to do. You can't say a word. You can't have an opinion. You don't get to talk. You just say, yes, sir, and keep it moving. If that's where you're at, it's a downward spiral because you know what? Their brains aren't the same as when they were kids. They're needing to grow and they're needing you to recognize that they need to grow. And if you do not handle that downward spiral, it will get out of control and you'll be thankful when they leave, but Make sure you're looking close because you probably won't see them very much past that point. Okay, so I would also tell you there's a family dinner <laughs> that I talk a lot about. I talk a lot about this because I am a big believer in family dinners. And here's why. Because every day you reconnect with your kid. And the rule at my house was dad, mom, and all the kids put their cell phones somewhere else and we sit down to eat dinner. Doesn't mean that we had five-course meal. Doesn't mean we were there for an hour and a half. Doesn't mean that the conversation was always riveting, I promise, you know. The truth is, though, that every single day, I'm going to say probably 80% of the time, maybe even more at our house, we made time for family dinner. And people got around the table, and we sat down, and we had a conversation. And there was always a natural ability for somebody to mention what was going on with them for me to ask what was going on for them and just a reconnection because some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your kids feel like they're drifting. And so you need that connection and family dinners is a perfect opportunity to do that. All right, so real quickly, I'm gonna ask you a quick question and I'm gonna then share the big idea. So here's the quick question before the big idea comes. How many of you would like to make an influence on your kids. You'd like to be an influence on your kids or grandkids, right? Okay. So let me ask you another question. How many of you would rather make an impact? Can I see your hands? Influence is good. Impact is even better. Can we agree on that? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Influence is like, yeah, mom and dad, they, they had that. And that's kind of important to me too. Impact is like, no, no, I saw it in them. And it's so hard hitting that I could never shake free. Impact over influence. I want to make an impact on my daughters. I want to make an impact on people's lives more than I want to just simply be an influence's sprinkling, you know? So here's what I would say. Here's the big idea to share with you today. You can influence from afar, but to make an impact, you must be up close. You guys understand what I'm saying? Here's the deal. If you want your kids to have the principles that you've taught, that's one thing. That's influence. 
But if you want them to really take it and run with it and reproduce the things that you want them to reproduce in their life, you can't do it from a distance. You have to have a conversation with them that is like the one that they have with their friends. You have to make intentional decisions to be a part of their life. You can influence them from afar, but you can only make an an impact when you are up close. And if you have not connected with your kids on a deep level, going back to that five you know, levels of connection and communication, if you haven't got beyond the cliches and the, the, the schedules, you're not close with your kids. You're not going to be able to make an impact in the same way. So you got to be intentional. You want proof that this being a truth Here's, you can check out Facebook. I mean, y'all, y'all know what you're dealing with on Facebook. Everybody's got a negative opinion. It's just the way that it goes. And you know what? If it's your third cousin twice removed and they say, you know what? I think that's a dumb idea that you put out. You're like, whatever, aunt, whatever. You know, I don't even know your name. And by the way, where do you live? I could care less, you know. But if that's your best friend, you're like, what? They said, what? Hold on just, you know, it's a totally different thing. One influences you're like, whatever. The other makes an impact and you're like, what? Hold on. The truth is, is that the closer someone is to you, the bigger impact you can make for good or for bad in your life. So very quickly, I want to talk about smart parents and the decisions that they make. And how many of you guys have ever heard of the uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, the three R's, you know, when you were a kid? Uh, when we grew up around here, um, down here in the South, we used to say, ah, it's reading, writing, arithmetic. It's the, it's the three R's. It's all about the basics. Well, I'm going to talk about four R's very quickly about what smart parents do in relationship with their kids. The very first one is relax. You are the parent, not someone else. And let me tell you something, if you have abdicated your role as parent and they are setting the agenda, that's on you. You've got to let them know that you are the parent, that you make the decisions, not them. It is so important and understand they only have one parent. They have hundreds, sometimes even thousands of friends. If you abdicate the role of parent, In that child's life, they have no parent, lots of friends. Influence, not impact. And I'm going to just say something. I want to just make sure that you understand. In your life and in my life, I don't have to go to every argument I'm invited to. I don't. There are people that want to argue and fuss and fight and talk about stuff, and I don't have to go there. And for some of you and for some of us, we need to hear that we are invited to lose our temper way more than we should. We're invited to lose control a whole lot more than we should. If you are a person who's allowing somebody else to set the agenda and they're a young person, do you want to be up and... Man, I will never, ever want to go back to teenage years. My emotions were just like this roller coaster of emotions. And one minute I was just awesome, and then the next minute I was in the dumps, and it was terrible, and you know, life could end and all that, you know... You don't want that. Don't let them set the agenda and the temperature in your house. You know what I mean? Ultimately, you're the parent. Now, very quickly, uh, there was a a funny thing that um, Theodore Roosevelt used to say, speak softly and carry a big stick and you're going to go far, all right? Now, I'm not advocating beating your children because that's not what I'm trying to say. But you want to know what a big stick looks like in 2020 for your kids? Go to the next slide. That is what a big stick looks like in your case. 
You tell them, you say, look, if you don't straighten up, I'll be taking your cell phone. You can't have my cell phone and I'm going to go hide it. Cool. I'll call AT&T and shut you down, right? Because I already know this. Your kids have a cell phone, right? But they don't pay for that cell phone, right? (laughs) That's true. And you know what? They also don't know the Wi-Fi password. (laughs) And they also don't know the Netflix password. And you take Netflix and Wi-Fi and and smartphones away from your kids, you're carrying a big stick in 2020. You've got their attention, Now, I'm not sitting here trying to say, you know, hey, get out there and punish your kids for no reason. I'm not saying that at all. But do you guys understand what I'm trying to convey? If your kids can't be controlled, then get a bigger stick. And you tell them, you know what, you need to go somewhere. I'm the one who takes you. You need to drive that car. I'm the one who pays for the insurance and the gas and the tires. If that's not going to happen anymore, if you continue down this road, you carry a bigger stick. And I just believe that you and I need to relax. You and I need to relax because we're actually the ones in control. We're giving it away far too often to our kids. All right, now, I want to slow down here. I have a tendency to zoom through. But I want to say something that I really do believe could be life-changing for all of us. I am not a a, a parent who has ever liked or felt cool with the idea of talking back. Like if I told my kids to do something and they had a smart comeback or if they were smart aleck or if they came back at me like with disrespectful tone or disrespectful words, it was always really, really hard for me to not keep myself focused on what was being said. But can I tell you guys something? For some of us, this is the sticking point for us in our relationship with our kids. Listen to me. Especially if you're dealing with teenagers. Your teenager might tell you or give you a hint of exactly why you can't say good morning without feeling like you're in a fight. They might tell you exactly what's at the root cause of this. Because you go back and you think about these things and you say, hey, Listen, I want to just say hello, you know, why do you want, why do you even care? Well, what you're saying there, you're looking at that and you're saying to yourself, hold on, I always care. You go back to those don't statements, don't get it twisted, you're the most important thing in my life. I love you, you're a gift from God. But if they constantly come back to the same concepts and ideas, and they constantly tell you their problem with you without maybe just coming right out and laying it out, if you can't remove yourself and hear the problem, if you can't remove yourself from the conversation and look down from a 30,000-foot view, you might have that same issue with your kid for a decade from age 12 to 22. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Because for some kids, they don't think that you care. For some kids, they think the other one's your favorite. For some kids, they think that they're ugly, even though they're beautiful kids. For some kids, they think that you wish they were not in your life. For some kids, it's other things that, you know, I I could list five, ten things. I'm not here to try to list all these things. But these things don't come out kindly from a teenage mouth most of the time. They come out as swinging, and you're like, don't you disrespect, you better not I get it. I'm not handling disrespect well. But if you can remove yourself just a little from the situation, here's how it sounds. I'm not going to have you disrespect me that way. You're definitely not going to talk to your mama that way. But I hear what you're saying. 
And I'm worried that maybe you got something in your head that says that somehow I like your sister better. Or somehow I think your brother is a better kid than you are. I want to be very clear on something. Don't get it twisted. I love you for you. I love him for him. But it's not, you know, a favorite or not. It's, you know, and, and you start talking like that and you start clarifying. You might actually have heard from your own child the thing that has been a problem for you for years. But you've got to remove yourself from the conversation so you can hear where they're coming from. Very quickly, you guys understand what I'm saying? You all hear what I'm trying to talk about there? I hope you do. Very quickly, smart parents reconnect. That magic ratio that we talk about, that magic ratio of five positives to one negative, that's the magic ratio that you give your kids positives all the time as you possibly can. And then you reconnect with them in any way that you can find. And then fourthly, the way that good parents and smart parents communicate is they rewind. How many of you ever heard somebody say, you can never go back, right? Here's what I would tell you. In your relationship with your kids, I've got great news. You can go back. Now, you might not be able to undo all of the damage that was done, but you can mitigate the damage. You can make it less. It might be 50% less. It might be 75% less. It might be 33% less. I don't know what the percentage is. Each situation is different. But here's what I mean by rewind. You can say, you know what? When I had that argument with you earlier, I said something that I wish I never would have said. You hear the rewind? You hear the rewind? I want to go back to something that was said in that conversation because you said something that hurt me and I got so caught up on that one thing that I didn't hear what you were trying to really tell me. So I want to talk about that for a minute. Can we do that? Or you say, you know what, hey, I'm in this situation and I'm having this difficult time with you, but I wish I'd handled it different. You can rewind. You can make the damage less. You can reconnect and you can go back and change things and the dynamic in your relationship can change, but you have to be willing to go back. And can I just say something real quickly? Here's what I want to tell you. If you apologize, but you're not really sorry, they'll know it. They will know it. They will know. So when you apologize, you better find something that you're actually sorry for. Hey, listen, I'm not sorry that I said that because it needed to be said. It's not okay for you to treat someone that way. But I'm sorry that it hurt your feelings. I really am. I'm not here to try to hurt you. I want you to be the best you that you can be. And so I am sorry that you're angry and I am sorry that you are hurt, but I want you to know that I see better for you than you see for yourself. Don't think that it's okay for you to treat people that way. And just make sure that we're not at odds. I want what's best for you and mean it and they'll hear it because it's so important and so powerful. Okay, very quickly, uh, here's how you apply. What area of the four R's do you need to employ most in your relationship? Relax. Just make sure that you are not losing control like your kids. Remove yourself. Take a step back and listen to what they're trying to say. Reconnect every chance you get with your kids. Or even rewind where you say, I want to go back and undo something that was said. I believe with all of my heart that these things actually will help you. And I want to just 
do a little thought exercise as I close, and it's just going to be very, very brief. And I know you're almost here for lunch, and we're at the very end of all my words that I've said, so this is a very brave thing for me to ask you to do, but would you all just close your eyes real quick and do this little thought experiment with me? I want you to imagine that you are in a place where you see no light, none. I mean, it is pitch black. There is nothing but darkness everywhere you look. You can open your eyes as wide as they go, but you still can't even see the hand in front of your face. Not comfortable, not good, but let's just imagine that you can tell just from the way that things sound and the way that things smell and the way that things feel that you're out in a field. And so you just start walking and you walk and you walk and you walk and you walk and you literally feel like you've been walking for hours, but you have not come across anything that makes the ground feel any different or anything at all. It's like you have been walking in the same direction for hours and nothing has changed. But finally you take another step and then you gently bump up against what you can tell by feel is a fence post. And you feel around on the left and you feel around on the right and you realize, I'm at a fence. I'm probably at the corner or at the edge of a field that I've been walking across. The thing is huge, but I found the edge and I found the end. Now, think about the word that describes the feeling when you finally touch that post, that fence. Is it relief? Is it that you feel found? Is it that you suddenly feel a lot less lost? Now, maybe one of those three describes the way that you feel. Maybe not perfectly, but pretty close. Is that true? Can you raise your hand? You can keep your eyes closed if you want, but... Is that true? Is that where you, you feel relief? You feel found? You feel a little bit of a sense of, okay, now I know where I'm going from, right? Okay, so everybody, you can open your eyes. Do you remember how tough it was to grow up? Sometimes we forget. I mean, everything changing in your body, everything changing in your worldview. You're not a kid anymore and you want to be your own person, but you want to be very different than your parents and yet maybe some of the same things. And you're feeling around and everything feels like it's moving on you and you can't seem to find the edge. I promise you, I promise you that kids need boundaries. They do. They need to know where the edge of the field is. But they also need love. You can't be all boundaries and no love, but you can't be love and no boundaries. If you can't find that middle ground, then your kids will struggle. But if you can find that middle ground, you can be intentional in developing great young men and women for God. But you've got to be intentional. It's not something that automatically happens. And so for all of us, let's understand that we need to make that connection and we want our kids to fly and to soar, but we've got to take an active role, an intentional role in making sure that we're connected with them. Because truth be told, we want to make an impact. And the only place that we can do that is when we are up close. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us no matter who we are and what our situation is, whether it's kids or spouse or grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whoever it may be, Lord, I pray that you would help us to make an impact in the lives of people around us. And may we do that in an intentional way, not just haphazard. And dear God, please help us to be the people that you want us to be and to grow up and develop the young people that you have given us the responsibility and the privilege to raise. So be with us, God, in everything that we do, and may we rely heavily upon you because you are our strength and you are our way maker. And Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us and all the power that you provide. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said together.